It's great to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Can you believe that this morning? The good to be in the house of the Lord, to be in God's presence, that as Pastor Stu mentioned, isn't a building, but a people, a gathered community of people that choose to live intentionally in their relation, not just to God, but in their relations to one another. So I'm grateful this morning. I'm also grateful every single time I get the best seat in the house when I watch Kids Minute happen, (laughs) because what an incredible moment that is. Not just in the Lord's provision and blessing of the amount of children and families that we have as a part of our congregation, but more so this. I had the opportunity last week to teach um, the three to six, the four to sixth grade class, and I told Pastor Jen when she asked me, I said, I'm, I'm not good at teaching children's church, like, I promise you, if you can't find anybody, I'm happy to be down there, but the bar needs to be set low. And they were really graceful. The kids showed me a grace that I needed that morning. But I was reminded of just the incredible value that it is for kids to see worship. Kids need to see adults pouring their hearts out to the Lord. But here's what I'm also convinced of and was reminded of this morning. We need to see the kids pouring their hearts out to the Lord. And this morning, as I saw kids run forward, just the joy and utter dependence on the moment reminded me of a spirit that I can too often forget. That spirit is reflective of the way that they feel in this place of the love that they see embodied here, of the warmth that they feel. So if anything this morning, let that be a testimony to the work that the Lord is doing in this place. We're going to read scripture together here in just a moment. Another thing that I was reminded this week, I talked with our young adults about that this week, we were reading scripture together. We started a new study on the Gospel of Mark. There was an author that I ran across a number of years ago by the name of Ruth Haley Barton. She's a wonderful pastor, leader, teacher. She talks a lot about Sabbath and the practice of stilling our hearts that we might hear the voice of the Lord. And one time in her earliest days of exploring this practice of Sabbath, a mentor of hers looked at her once and said, Ruth, you're just like a jar of river water, all shaken up, too cloudy to see anything. And I remember a professor of mine who introduced me to her used to have a jar of river water on his desk, and every time we would meet, he would take it and he would shake it up and put it down as a reminder that it took time to become still. And so as we read scripture this morning, I know that we bring things to this moment. We bring baggage, burdens, expectations, appointments that we have later, Meals that are maybe in the oven awaiting our arrival back at home. Any number of things come to this moment. So in the reading of scripture, it takes time to become still. And so let that be our prayer this morning as we read scripture together. As we hear the words that that Jesus gave to his disciples but also gives to us today, would we ask for peace? And so as you, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to read this prayer together as an invitation for the Lord to still our hearts. Would you stand with me as we read scripture this morning? Join me in this prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit that as your scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. 
Reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, starting in chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are a light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but rather on a lampstand, and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless the righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And we spent time during this epiphany season over these last few weeks asking this question, who is this Jesus that is revealed to us in scripture? And buried beneath that question is the affirmation that at times I must face, that my perception of Jesus can be shaped far more by my own expectations, my own wants, my own longings, rather than the words that are given to us in scripture. But instead, this unexpected Messiah the one who was long anticipated, who was born into the most unlikely of scenarios, now reveals who he truly is, what he longs for, what breaks his heart, the kind of world that he envisions. And this annual pilgrimage we take here at Skyview through the calendar invites us to a humility that says, not my will, but your will be done. And so as we lead from this season to the next, in the season of Lent, a time when Christians all around the world fast from things that have taken too deep of residence in our lives. In order to pull closer to Christ, it is important that we know what sort of Christ we are about to follow. A Christ that is not one of power and ambition, but rather of sacrifice and grace. A Christ that would eventually find himself on the cross. This is the unexpected Jesus that we are invited to follow. And we should remember in moments like this when we give our allegiance to this Lord that the world offers us no shortage of lords to follow. No shortage of saviors promising life, endurance, happiness. Things like money, power, accomplishment, or ambition all promise us some sort of life, yet at the end of the day fail to sustain us. None transform hearts, reconcile families, lead this world towards a renewed vision that God longs for. So in choosing to follow this Messiah, the one that is so unexpected to the expectations that we have, we say both, I choose to follow this Messiah and deny the others around me that so often call for my attention. 
one of the things that we do here on a weekly basis when we pass around the baskets for offering. That's not so we can pay our budgets and do all those things. While those are important, it's an act of worship that reminds us that we don't want to bow to this Lord. We don't bow to the myth of power and money and ambition. But we recognize that the one who gave us so much has given us truly all things to be grateful for. So Jesus opens this famous sermon on the mount by reminding the listening disciples that this coming kingdom, the way of life that Christ is inaugurating, the way of life that he once envisioned for the nation of Israel and is now passed along to them, would be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And not a kingdom inhabited by powerful people, for mentioned in the Beatitudes were the sort of people that this kingdom would invite. The sort of people that this kingdom would draw close. The sort of people that this kingdom would provide for. Jesus mentions the poor, the meek, the hungry, the powerless, the scared. The ones who don't know what to do. These are the sorts of people that Jesus says to his disciples, don't be surprised when they show up when they sit at your table, when they build relationships with you, when you grow close to one another. For the powerful among them, it was not an avenue to more prestige, but rather an invitation to be humble, to recognize one's own power, one's own ability to provide for themselves, and ask, Lord, how might you use that which you have given me to provide for those who do not have? So immediately following these Beatitudes, Jesus looks to his disciples and gives two images, seemingly insignificant ones that might have felt commonplace to some modern readers, but images that are packed with detail. And so we'll take one at a time. Jesus calls his disciples salt. I don't know about you, but salt is really important in my cooking. And I lament the days that it wasn't as important because salt helps make things taste better, if you didn't know that. It's, it's a good thing. During the pandemic, a lot of us maybe formed new hobbies, and for me, one of them was cooking. And thanks to the really great world of YouTube, I found this new love of cooking. As I was stuck in my house and thought, well, if I'm going to have to eat at home, I might as well taste good. And so I discovered all sorts of new things, like the difference in different types of kitchen knives. All these new kitchen gadgets that we would go broke if, I, if Michaela let me buy all the ones that I wanted to have. But I also learned, and this may seem commonplace, you're going to laugh at me, but just this was new to me, that there's actually different types of salts. Do you know this? Yeah, I know. It's, you're like, Ryan, I've known that for years. So I went to the store, and sure enough, there's table salt. It's good for baking. There's kosher salt. It's good for seasoning food. There's flaky salt, which is good for, like, finishing and, like, topping things. I I had no idea. And so now in our house, Mikhail thought it was kind of weird to have all different types of salts laid out for different meals and recipes. And I noticed in that moment just how important this spice was to me. How important it was in not just my ability to cook, but my ability to enjoy. That this thing brought out flavor in things that I perhaps couldn't taste the flavor in before. I know some of us, it's inevitable in a congregation such as ours that some are maybe more spice adventurous than others. Some may be like a little mild, we just like normal spices, 
And then some of us, I've had dinner with some of you, and you're just a spice adventurous, I'll say that. And I love the opportunity to learn. Not always my like, small-town Oklahoma self has not always been exposed to these spices, but I appreciate the opportunity to learn. So I do now, because Jennifer made fun of me when we first moved here, that I only cook with salt and pepper. I do cook with more spices now. <laughs> not maybe as many as others, but I do cook with more spices. And so it's interesting in this moment that Jesus calls his disciples salt. Salt was incredibly significant in culture. A spice not only that was, was plentiful, but also was sought after. Salt in recorded history was one of the most significant discoveries of the age, and while common, earned nicknames like white gold. One of the most significant substances, along with iron, gold, wheat, societies formed around them. They fought over it. In history, we see other moments where, Egyptian, uh, where important Egyptians used salt to preserve precious foods, foods that weren't commonplace in the everyday world, also used salt to preserve bodies that were passed. For the mummification process of leaders, pharaohs, important dignitaries in their society, an interesting comment simply to say that these people thought their body mattered so much that it needed to be preserved for the sake of others, rather than using it for things that actually could sustain life. There's other moments in history when salt was actually traded for slaves, it was deemed that valuable. Wars were fought over it. Taxes were imposed on it. People longed for this spice. And scripture engages in this powerful icon that we find so incredibly present. And while there's a multitude of descriptions of salt in scripture, there's three really dominant ones that I think are important for us today. First, that salt purified. It, it transformed things that others deemed unclean. There's times in scripture when Elisha put salt into a bowl of unclean water and it was cleansed. The prophet Ezekiel mentions in the birth of children that salt would be put on them to keep them from contracting disease. Salt purified. Salt also embodied a covenant. When two people were exchanging something and were establishing a covenant between buyer and seller that would not be broken, they would share bread and they would dip it in salt together. To signify because salt was something that could not be destroyed either by fire or by time. It served as something that endured. And so the consumption of this with other people marked a covenant that would last forever. Salt was also used as a seasoning. In the Old Testament system, in the, in the, the sacrifices that Israel was invited to do, salt was a major place, had a major place in the sacrificial system. As a reminder that the things that they were sacrificing, they were giving to the Lord, but if they were going to give them to the Lord, they needed to taste good. Hear me on this for a moment. That they needed to be satisfactory to the Lord that would receive them back, and so they put the very best. They said in this moment that the sacrifice that I'm giving to the Lord, the thing that maybe I think that I need, but I know that the Lord invites me to give back to him, I need to make sure that it is preserved. I need to make sure that it lasts. I need to take something that's incredibly precious in my house and use it on this first and foremost. Adding flavor to this reconciled a break that was between two people. It was used to settle dispute. It was used to bond people together. So salt was pretty important. Light is equally important in scripture. 
Some dominant images that we find is that light was used to set calendars and rhythms. We know this. This image isn't lost on us even in the modern day, except in moments where we can manipulate light. We have the ability to turn on light at the flick of a switch. We can set our own rhythms and schedules, yet we still feel the burden of when there's no sun, feels a little darker, and when there's sun, those summer days are on their way, I promise. I'm excited for them. But in the, in the ancient world, light played a far more important time, for more, sorry, let me start over. It played a far more important role in the setting of calendars and rhythms. And so it's no, it's no surprise that the Lord is referred to as the light in Scripture, the one who would set the calendars and rhythms of the people who would choose to follow in God's ways. Light was also a sign of divine presence. This isn't unique to the, Christ, to the Christian tradition, but we find it so deeply rooted in Scripture that when light showed up, God was there. Let there be light. Some of the first words uttered in Scripture point to a God that hovered over darkness and while fought against darkness was not bound by its power. That in the, call, the invitation for light to be present in the world was a conquering of the darkness that prevailed. And third, light is a reminder of who we belong to. Later in Scripture, Paul to the church in Thessalonica refers to them as children of light. Followed up by Jesus referring to the disciples as light, it is a reminder that the giver of light, the one who very much is light in the world, is the one to whom we belong to. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world, he not only reminds them of their commission to do something in in relation to other people, he also reminds them whose work they are doing, who empowers them to do the work, who gives them the strength, who gives them all that is needed. So salt and light are significant images and can leave one feeling rather important, I don't know about you, but if I was sitting there as the disciples and I heard myself called salt and light, I'd feel pretty good about myself. I'd feel like these things matter. These things are important because I'm called something that is worth money. It's worth power, position, something that can be hoarded, something that people fight over. That's me. I'm also referred to as light, Something that people need, they long for, that actually brings life to the world. Without it, crops wouldn't grow. Seasons wouldn't change. Weather wouldn't shift. So I would leave this moment feeling pretty important about myself. But what does salt and light have to do with following Jesus? In verse 16, Jesus tells them what he means by salt and light. That he says we are salt and light when we do good works. When, we can, when others can see the works that we do, and when those works direct their worship and love and desire back to the Father. A reminder that what makes people salt and light, what makes followers of Jesus, these two very important things, is not their very presence and association with Christ, but it is the behavior that they choose to engage in. That to be salt and light is this active response that we talk about week in and week out, that our faith, while not based in action, cannot be devoid of action. That our faith, when left alone, becomes nothing more than salt that has lost its saltiness. Left on a shelf, good for nothing. That our faith, when covered with a basket, is extinguished. 
So I wonder if the disciples, while being left, maybe feeling excited, maybe felt a little scared. Because what happens when salt is no longer used? When light is no longer hidden? Not only do they become useless, they cease to be what they were always intended to be. They no longer are the very thing that they were created for. And so in turn, Jesus looks to his disciples and says, if you're going to follow me, you have to understand who you are. If you're going to follow me, you have to understand who I have always intended you to be. If you're going to follow me, you have to know and believe that I have created you for so much more than the world around you might assume. And so the challenge of this text is something that those of us who profess a faith in Christ must all face. Something that the Lord put on my heart as I was reading through this scripture this week. That a mere association with Christ, even one accompanied by practices such as this, of corporate worship, of small group studies, of the occasional engagement in community outreach initiatives, at the end of the day can be rendered useless to the advance of the kingdom. Useless to the advance of the world and vision that God has for this place. They become nothing more than salt that has lost its saltiness, thrown out onto the road, and light that has been extinguished. And as the Lord was counseling me this week, both ups and downs, reminding me that I needed more than a mere association, he also said this, I so desperately want a relationship with you. I so desperately want to be in fellowship with you but I want so much more from you. He wants so much more from us. Otherwise, he wouldn't have called us salt and light because at the end of the day, the worst thing I could imagine is that all that the Lord has given me, the creativity and talent and ability that I'm so grateful that the Lord has given me, that at the end of the day might still be useless for God's kingdom. That at the end of the day, all of the ability and position and influence that God has given us as a community of faith. It's been a long road to get to where we are here at Skyview. I sat this week and heard the story again of how this building was built. Maybe some of you were a part of that process, or maybe some of you, like me, came into the process later, but the story is rich. Rich because it reminds me that the Lord called us to this place, that the Lord prepared a work for this place. And that now that this place is here, not because the church is a building, but because we as a people are planted here, that the Lord has invited us to something to be salt and light in a community that so desperately needs us. Jesus calls us to be salt, to preserve the things in our world that need preserving. Jesus calls us to be light to be ones who shine light in places stricken with darkness. And as I was praying this week, I was tempted to believe that, well, the Lord calls me to preserve and to shine light. And so if I'm not careful, I'll preserve the things that I think are worth preserving. And I'll shine light on the things that I think need light shined on them. But as I continued reading, I was reminded that the Lord is not vague in his invitation. 
But the mission that he was requiring of me this week and the mission that he invites all of us to in the reading of this text is not vague. Because the verses preceding this, Christ described the sort of people that will be present in this kingdom. He describes the sort of people that might begin to show up when a community would live in such a way in the ways of Jesus. He mentions the poor, the meek, the hungry, the hurting, the the people that don't know what tomorrow looks like, the scared. And so Jesus looks at us and says, you are salt and light in the midst of these very people that might surround you. And so does not leave it vague for our interpretation to preserve or to shine light where we deem fit, but Christ says, these are the people that my kingdom will serve. This work feels hard. It feels overwhelming. It feels too much at times. I was sitting there in my office reflecting with my pastor. I have a really good pastor. I don't know, you should meet him someday. A really good guy. And we were dreaming about the things that the Lord was calling us as a faith community to. And I stopped and I just asked, do you really think that's possible? And he said, I do. Because I already see it happening. And the Lord opened my eyes to reflect on the ways that I have already seen him move in the areas where he is calling me to. You know where I see it? I see it on Tuesdays. I get the awesome opportunity to be here in the morning when the food truck gets here to unload food and we have volunteers organizing, placing food baskets out. I see it on Tuesday night when more volunteers come and distribute hampers of food to almost 15 families in our neighborhood that don't know where their next meal comes from. I see it in the garden beds outside where life comes right now but later in the summer. I see it when produce is being washed in the kitchen as a reminder that the life that the, the ground that others might seem might deem unfit for life. That in a community that others might seem to perceive as hopeless, life is growing. I see it in conversations that I have with people in our community when we think about the ways that we can respond to the unique needs of others. I was talking to Beth this morning about a benevolence request and just reminded that the Lord is moving and working on the hearts and minds of the people that sit next to you. And so my question this morning, do those that sit next to you know the ways that God is forming you? Parents, do your kids know what fills your prayers these days? Grandparents, do you ask your grandkids about their faith? Do the ones who occupy space next to you even know that the Lord is forming you? I was moved this, I'm saying this week a lot. It was a powerful week for me. A lot happened. Sitting there in the kitchen this week with Pastor Stu and Jennifer. It's a holy table in there in the kitchen, if you don't know that. The Lord just began to move. Began to share the things that the Lord had been sharing, the ways the Lord had been moving on our hearts. Some were scary, some dreams were too big for us to be able to envision. But in that moment, I felt the Lord's presence say, I'm already ahead of you. 
I'm already moving. I'm already working. We spoke of areas that desperately need salt, that desperately need to be preserved. We spoke of relationships that so desperately need to be lit up. Dark places. And the souls of ones that we care about that need to be illuminated. And the Lord wrapped me up in that moment and said, I'm already ahead of you. And so this morning, as I pray for those things, Jennifer's been convicting me to pray with faith these days. To pray believing that the one that I pray to can provide that which I need. So the last thing I'll say on this text, I'm, gonna get, I'm getting weepy. This text, it spoke to me this week in a way that it had not in a long time. As Jesus closes this commission to his disciples, he speaks of the law. He speaks of the commands that came before, of the covenant that was made with Abraham. One author that I read suggested this that I liked really, really well. So he said, in the, in the covenant made with Abraham, God references the coming family, the coming promise, as both sand and stars. He says that your descendants will be so many that they will be like the sand or of the stars. And Jesus, in similar fashion, uses the language of salt and light. This correlation that I think Jesus would have been aware of because Jesus was aware of the things that happened in the Old Testament because it was the scripture that he read. And Jesus says to these disciples, effectively what God said to Abraham from the very beginning is that your call is both low and high. It is both at the bottom and at the top. And subsequently, the thing that I call you to invites you to embrace that which is in the middle, which is all that has been created. I know that it's easy to look around the world and convince ourselves of all the things that aren't worth saving. It's so easy to look around the world and blame other reasons for why things are the way that they are. It's really easy to get to a point where we begin to doubt that any more good could come out of a place such as this. But the call that Jesus gives to his disciples refuses to believe that. Refuses to believe that any one place is too lost for his salt and his light. So as Jesus calls us this morning, not just as individuals, but calls us as a church into scary new places, into places that are unknown, where we just don't know what the day looks like, he says it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it because every place that we might have deemed unfit, unhopeful, lost, Jesus says I can bring it back. So I don't know what family relationships look like for you if there's ones that feel too severed, too broken. If there's things that you say to yourself in the mirror in the morning that just take too heavy of residence, pain in your past, you just don't know if you can let go of. The call of Christ does not diminish the weight of those things. By no means but it accents the power that God has to transform any and all burdens that we might bring or others might bring to this place. And so to be salt and light is not just for us to believe that God can transform our hearts and lives, but it's to live in such a way in the world that others might believe that too.
Do your neighbors believe that there's hope? Do you have family members that just feel tired? Do people in your community know that there's something better out there? When you feel God transform your own heart, do the people sitting next to you know about it? We need to hear it. I needed to hear this week how the Lord was forming Pastor Sue and Jennifer. I needed to hear that. I needed to see this morning the joy on these kids' faces. I needed to hear your voices this morning when we sang. I need to hear those things. Because there's times in my profession of faith that I say, Lord, I believe, because I actually believe it. And there's other times that I say it because I need to believe it. Because life feels too hard. I'm going to invite the band to come forward, and we're going to close with a song. But I would just ask us this question this morning. Where in your world, in your neighborhood, in the places that you go to often, the grocery store, the coffee shop, the bank, does it need some new flavor? Does it need some salt? Where does it need light? Where are the places that feel so dark? Pay attention to the places around you because when you pray this prayer, be careful with the prayers that you pray because the Lord will show you. So the prayers God is asking me to pray these days and I'm asking the Lord to give me courage to pray them. Lord, show me the areas that are dark. Show me the areas that are flavorless. Give me the courage to believe that you can do all things and more that you have promised.